whether you're a business, whether you're a response agency or a nonprofit, it's extremely important to understand that when you first walk into an emergency operations center during a major disaster, it's organized chaos. There's a lot going on. Everybody has their place. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And you're all working as a team for the ultimate goal of saving lives and recovering from that disaster. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Justin McInnes, who's president and CEO of Texas Search and Rescue, which is more commonly known as Texar. Justin, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing good, Peter. Thanks for having me on here. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to this. And our focus today is on how people and organizations can maintain a constant state of readiness. But before we begin, can you please tell our listeners just a little bit about Texas Search and Rescue and all the great work that you guys do there? Yeah, Peter, I'd love to. So Texas Search and Rescue is a 501c3 that's been around for about 17 years. Our beginnings were, were very humble beginnings, starting to, you know, having folks come from uh, the military background, wanting to, to provide more back to their community and have that sense of purpose and mission still in their lives. And, and that has grown into uh, what we have today, which is a 488 volunteer strong organization that serves all 254 counties in the state of Texas. We support as a force multiplier to our large partners during disasters, uh, natural disasters or otherwise, as well as provide support in flood and swift water rescue, cold cases, homicides, uh, search and rescue, recovery operations, public safety diving, canine operations, wildland fire, and, and many other operations. Wow. And Texas is a big state, so that's quite a geographic area you got to cover. Yes, sir. No, it's it's very different throughout the entire state. You have blizzards in North Texas, you have hurricanes in, in South Texas, you have wildfires in, in West and East and everything in between. But I will say, you know, snowpocalypse last year kind of changed the ball game with the entire state of Texas being under a freeze and, and snow. So absolutely, the state of Texas brings a, a lot of opportunity to serve. Mm, I like how you phrase that. Well, what are your responsibilities at the organization and how did you arrive there? Yeah. So I started off, I took over the organization two years ago, right before COVID hit as the first full-time paid president and CEO. Before that, I was at Hayes County, just a, a small county uh, south of Austin uh, in south of Travis County, where I was the interim uh, director of emergency services. And before that, uh, I worked for the United States Geological Survey, and uh, I chased floods for a living. Um, mm. That's how I found myself here. All right. Fantastic. Well, let's begin with how you train your employees and your volunteers for these what I would call extremely difficult missions that you guys engage on. How do you prepare them for such a wide range of situations and the challenges that they'll inevitably experience? So there's different specialties like wildland fire, dive, the canine operations, and, and many more, our flood and swift water uh, that we send our volunteers through uh, and, and train and get third-party certifications. It's important to us that they train at the same level as a professional. I have a lot of respect for my volunteers because they do a very professional you know, service. Uh, they give their lives for others and are willing to serve. So 
Uh, we ensure that our members are up to date with their certifications. We ensure that they have the proper first aid and other first aid trainings, CPR uh, and above. Uh, and we also ensure that we continue to train them on a twice a month. And then we have an all state training uh, once a month uh, to go over review and rehash and, and move forward. Wow. It's almost like a second job for these folks. It's, is it like the military reserve? Is it kind of similar to that as far as like the involvement that they have? Our organization is very unique in that our volunteers are very passionate about what they do. And I think mm. that's what's so amazing about this organization and leading this organization. I'm a very passionate individual myself in public safety and in public service. And our volunteers spend their own money, their own time to deploy for sometimes weeks at a time. They have you know, jobs and families and, and they give it all up. You know, our, our motto is service above self, Texans helping Texans. And, and we give it all up so that we can help those that we do not know. And, and that's, that's something that you know, I'm, I'm very proud of my organization and my volunteers to do. They're continually training, uh, they're continually certifying, continually hone their skills and willing to step up to the plate in the middle of the night. We run through Three, uh, 365, 24, seven. And so, uh, yeah, no, they, they're all there. Yeah. All in. Well, that's fantastic. Many of our listeners have employees in what we would call lone worker situations or who just experienced difficult safety challenges on their jobs. I know they're going to benefit from hearing from you what works on this, but with that in mind, what safety challenges do your people face when they're on site and how do you protect them? Great question. So you know, oftentimes we're in austere environments and, you know, there's no cell coverage, especially during the disasters, uh, major natural disasters. Texas, again, is a very large state. There are a lot of areas where we don't have cell service, but we have GPS. You know, it's important that even as a, a growing organization, there's always room, always room for improvement, adding to the systems and listening to your, uh, your volunteers or your members or your employees to ensure they have the equipment that they need. So what we end up doing is, is ensuring our, our members have the first aid CPR as a baseline. We often have medics that are out in the field, uh, wilderness first aid, wilderness first responder, paramedics, EMTs, doctors, and everything in between to ensure that we can cover down on anything major where there are no hospitals available. Uh, a lot of our members are also trained in uh, helo operations and landing zone, which is very important, especially if we have to do a medic evac. But they also know uh, basic survival skills and mm -hmm. you know tying knots and and you know maintaining and self sufficiency, water, food. Uh, each one of our members has a 24-hour pack. Uh, sometimes we go up to a 72-hour pack, which is rare on occasion. But the intent is that they have everything that they need to survive 24 hours on their own. So again, fire, robe, you know, emergency blanket, uh, and everything in between to ensure that they they can survive. But we're also very adamant that you know, constant communication as much as we can. So every time we go out on a much larger deployment, we deploy our communications equipment uh, to allow for radio comms between field members and command. And we try to integrate into other agencies, radio infrastructure as, as much as possible. Uh, again, there are always challenges with that. And uh, we try to, to remain simper gumby to it. Yeah. So it sounds like from what you said, the biggest things are training, equipment, backup, and communication. Absolutely. And listening to those that are in the field and what their needs actually are. It's, it's always important. Hmm. Although, you know, I'm, I'm up here at the president CEO, it, it, it still is important that you listen to your ground pounders, 
you know, the boots on the ground because they're the ones upholding the mission and upholding your vision uh, and the vision of the organization. And it's extremely important that you listen to them. Yeah. Back and forth communication is so important. hundred percent. Well, some of the situations that your team ends up dealing with are, I mean, really just tragic. So how do you support the mental well-being of your people after a difficult search and rescue mission? Mental health is, is a very important thing in the response community. Mental health in general is, a, is an important thing. And I think we're, we're kind of breaking down those walls of, of what people used to think mental health was and or is. And it's really important for me to have my members up and running and running on, on all pistons at, at all times. Realizing that, you know, our members also come from all different walks of life. We've got lawyers, we've got mechanics, we've got, you know, accountants, doctors, engineers, uh, construction workers, you know, and everything in between. And so while their day-to-day jobs is not completely applicable to what they do in the field. We found and, and noticed that if you pull them out of the field or out of their office, staring at an Excel sheet, throw them into an austere environment, come across some of the the more darker times from, for somebody's life that really impacts an individual. And so, oftentimes, we debrief at the actual mission with the team that was involved with the recovery and talk things through, uh, make sure everybody's okay. But uh, as of late last year, we implemented a new program for our volunteers where Texar will pay for their mental health uh, visits uh, with a professional who specializes in first responder and military uh, health. And so Texar will, will anonymously, this is none of our business. If you need it, just take it, take advantage of it. Texas Search and Rescue will pay for it. And uh, we hope that you get the, the service that you need. Uh, so that you can continue to perform, uh, because that's the last thing I, I want for our members is to hurt internally, see something that they can't get rid of, destroy themselves from the inside, uh, hurt their families, you know, or, or go down a path that, and they cannot come back. Um, so I want to make sure it's extremely, it's extremely important to me and, and that they know that we're here to support them. No, that's great. And it's got to be tough too, because the personalities that you attract are tend to be the I don't want to say the hero type, but it's really the hero type. It's like, I don't, I don't need help. I help other people, right? So they don't want to admit when something goes wrong. So that's got to be tough to overcome to a certain extent. Yeah, oftentimes it's, it's hard to admit that you're having a hard time. Yeah. And we have a, a great support crew uh, internally that we can all talk with each other and uh, say the things that we need to say, get the things that we need uh, off of our chest. And also we're paying attention to one another. We are a family, although we're 488 members. You know, I, I still want us to think that we're a family and, and act as a family because it's those times that we notice that there's something maybe off. It's important that we get ahead of it and start talking and, and be preventative and mitigate any potential for you know going down the wrong path or, or having complications. And again, it's it's all about communication and being open and, and being friendly to one another and, and truly listening. I think that's another key point is that we're, we're constantly listening to our members. We're constantly listening to you know those that we serve and, and gleaning new information and trying to help out where we can. That's great. Well, do you have a real world scenario that you can tell us about that had a, a really positive outcome due to all the preparation and the preparedness initiatives and readiness trainings that you guys do? Yeah, I think a good inflection point for you know Texas Search and Rescue is Hurricane Harvey. That was uh, a disaster of all of, of epic proportions, you know, to be quite honest. And we deployed for just about two weeks down there and helped uh, many, many hundreds of people uh, and pets evacuating and rescues. 
And it showed just how well we can work as a team. Although we didn't have all the greatest and latest tools, we didn't have all the the money in the world to to throw at this disaster. We still came to, um, and again, it goes back to the passion of my volunteers and the the willingness to step up to the plate and be ingenuitive and create an environment of you know you know purpose. And so we were able, all the training that we put down, you know, the the continual training, the certifications and the uh, willingness to serve really proved its point. Uh, A lot of Harris County, Galveston County and the surrounding areas that were hit by Hurricane Harvey, uh, there was no infrastructure, no public infrastructure that that we could truly rely on. We had members uh, staying at home that do not want to be in the field. That's the other thing about, you know, Texas Search and Rescue is that there's a place for everybody. We have back-end support, you know, IT support. We've got folks who are doing dispatching in our back, back at their house to ensure our members are getting to where they need to go and supporting the mission there. We've got ham radio operators that can communicate with emergency operations centers to, to ensure that we behind the scenes know what's going on. So it was a, for all intents and purposes, while there's always hiccups in a disaster, that's why it's a disaster. We were still able to, to achieve mission, save lives and provide a service to the community. Yeah. In situations like that, it seems like there's just chaos and nobody knows what they're going to be getting into. So the training is just so critical because when people enter that situation, they may not be able to communicate with you and they have to make call audibles right there on site and do let the training kick in and, and do what they see they need to do until they can get back to the you know headquarters and communicate and, and say, you know, this is what I'm seeing on the ground and how do you want to proceed to go forward? You're exactly right. And I think it goes back to the importance of training with ICS and NIMS, uh, Incident uh, Command and, and National Incident Management System. It's, it's really important that, you know, employers and, you know, organizations like ourselves, you know, teach ICS and NIMS, you know, understanding how we all fit into the cog of chaos, whether you're a business, whether you're a response agency uh, or a nonprofit, it's extremely important to understand that when you first walk into an emergency operations center during a major disaster, it's organized chaos. There's a lot going on. Everybody has their place. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And you're all working as a team for uh, the ultimate goal of, of saving lives and uh, recovering from that disaster. And so if you are training ICS and NIMS, then when chaos ensues, you know how to plug into the overarching, you know, operation instead of pulling, you know, to the right when everyone's trying to pull into the center Mm. and and causing more chaos and, and more frustration. Yeah. No, that's great. I know that Texar prides itself on being in a constant state of readiness, and it's certainly necessary to support your mission. So what advice do you have for other organizations, regardless of industry, on how to achieve this as well? So it kind of goes back to a lot of things that we've discussed. It's it's communication, it's training, expectation management. During a disaster, if your employees are, are worried about you know everything else, then they're not going to come up to work, right? And if they're not going to go to work, then work ceases and the business ceases. And you know, in the disaster community, I don't care if you're you know a home improvement store or a restaurant or a food distribution or a grocery store. They are all very integral in the recovery and mitigation process and resiliency process. And if you don't have employees to help with your business, then in the overarching picture, we fail as a team. And it's extremely important that you provide information to your employees of how to better prepare themselves for you know, a disaster. 
whether you know snow, tornado, flood, fire, uh, or anything in between. Have proper communication channels so that your employees have a place to go to, learn the appropriate information, as well as report you know, their, their status. In 2020, we implemented a new process within our organization to allow our members to check in and let us know if everything is okay, if they weren't okay, what was it that was wrong, what they needed, whether it was, hey, we need somebody to pick up groceries, uh, we you know, need to isolate and we can't get our medications, you know, whatever it was, we were willing to step up to the plate and take care of our members and using that portal was, uh, we found to be extremely important because again, everybody felt isolated last year, right? Mm. And so having that sense of camaraderie and that feeling of like, hey, we're watching out for you. If you need something, put it on the portal. We know where you are. We're going to help you out and take care of you, bring your groceries, bring your medications and, and cover down. But I think it goes back to, again, training in the right field, cross-training as well. So everybody knows what one another is doing uh, and providing resources like preparedness fairs, uh, educational tools and, and other mechanisms that allow families to be more resilient. Uh, so when a disaster does hit, you can count on your family being okay. Again, you know, during a major disaster, if you're up at the emergency operations center, or if you're at work and you're constantly thinking about how is my family doing, which is, is natural and 100% okay. You know, there's less stress if your family is prepared and, you know, the business has been a part of that preparation process so that when the employee is there focusing on work, you know, you, you have taken care of both sides. Now, a lot of the people that volunteer for your organization are really passionate about what they do and they're willing to go and, and take trainings for an entire weekend on, on a single topic. But the average employee in the average company, they're tired at the end of the day. They just want to go home. A big thing that you mentioned is people should spend a little time training and being ready for disasters. How do you encourage or entice people to become more part of the process and not just say, look, I'm tired. I just want to go home. I don't need to plan for a disaster that may never happen. Yeah, I think it's important that we educate our employees and, and those that we're around uh, the applicability of it all and that you know, stop the bleed training. While that's a mass casualty training and you think of you know, stop the bleed training is only for first responders and those who are going to be downrange doing something and uh, are, are dealing with, you know, uh, gunshot victims and whatnot. That's not necessarily true. It's, it's important that, you know, with say stop the bleed training that folks can use it day in and day out. It's not for disaster specifically. Every day we get in our car and we drive on a highway, you may come across an accident. And mm. if you had stopped the bleed and are certified and stopped the bleed, you could potentially save a life. And that's important that, you know, some of these trainings that are provided are completely applicable to everyday life. And I think it's important for us as employers and those that do provide training to associate the applicability of, of what you're learning and how you can use that in day-to-day. -day. Also making the training smaller in time to keep your crowd uh, engaged is extremely important um, and not speaking above your audience. Mm. Um, I know I've been to many medical trainings where I don't know what half the stuff is because I'm not a trauma surgeon. You lose your audience there. Uh, it's important, extremely important that you speak to your audience and again, associate to day-to-day -day life, understanding the bigger picture. And I think once you start with the bigger picture of how this is applicable to day-to-day, -to -day, 
then you can get a little bit more myopic in the training and explain and, and talk things through. Yeah, no, that's great. Great advice. What are some of the long-term benefits for businesses that can maintain this constant level of readiness? So the benefit of being prepared and having that constant state of readiness, it allows for continuity of operations uh, to ensure your business can continue and making sure that you can still serve your communities as you know, local businesses or, or much larger businesses. They all play a key part in the disaster continuum, which I think is also important that uh, you know, businesses understand um, and, and the communities understand that businesses are so important to the recovery of communities. And so I think being prepared on, you know, your end as a business helps the recovery, which helps the citizens get back to some, you know, some level of normality after a disaster and helps them, it helps the communities recover. Um, so again, it's integral in, in the entire uh, response continuum. And it also helps your business stay strong during events. I think I've also heard you talk about peace of mind too. Yes, sir. It's, it's a peace of mind. While we can write every plan every way to Sunday and, and make them super deep and, and think of, you know, from everything from alien invasion to, you know, uh, <laughs> to, to everything in between, you know, it's important that, you know, knowing that you have a plan, exercising the plan uh, occasionally to ensure that, you know, what you have put into play, what you have written down will actually suffice. That's the other thing is, is making sure you're exercising your plans uh, and exercising what you say. If you do not, the last thing you want to do is, is have that black swan event, have that disaster occur and think that everything is, is solid and ready to go and everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and, and because you put it down in the plan and you forgot to share that plan yeah. uh, or you weren't exercising that plan. And I think that's that's where a lot of people find themselves. And But also making the plans rather not, not too stringent where it disallows people to be flexible uh, because every disaster, every response is different. Every, every crime, uh, every crime, Crash scene is going to be different and the response will have to be different for that. Uh, and if you make that or that plan too uh, restrictive and then you disallow those that are responding to act appropriately for that situation, because uh, again, every disaster is going to be different. Well, we like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide the listeners with a practical tip or a lesson learned that they can take back to their organizations to make an immediate impact. So with that in mind, What's one thing the audience can do today, in your opinion, to improve their emergency preparedness? I think it's a simple word, communication. While it is so simple, there are a lot of facets to communication. Uh, we can all be better at communication, uh, whether communicating the severity of a situation, communicating the proper protocols to respond uh, for a certain uh, situation, communicating uh, the best ways to manage and respond to uh, a disaster or a situation, uh, or communicating the right response, whether to the community or your employees and where to find the, the latest and greatest of information, how to get to work or you know, how to, to lie low or you know, useful tips and tricks to be prepared. It's all about communication and ensuring that your, your staff, uh, your leadership, and, and everybody else in between uh, can properly communicate uh, up and down the channel. Sage advice. Well, Justin, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your time, expertise, and advice. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate you giving me, having me on here and, and everybody be safe. Absolutely. Well, if anyone listening has follow-up questions, wants to connect with you, or perhaps volunteer for Techstar, what's the best way for them to find you out there? 
Yeah, they can visit our website at uh, techsar.org, and there you'll find all of our information of what we do as an organization, how to donate to our organization, and actually how to become a volunteer for our organization. Uh, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Texar or follow us on Twitter at Texar1. Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember... Nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency, so communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.